Hi there, and welcome to this episode of the Love to Tell the Story podcast. I'm Michael Lowry, pastor of East Congregational United Church of Christ in Concord, New Hampshire. Love, when it truly is love, involves risk. And so it is with God's love for you and for me. Based on the parables of the lost sheep and the lost coin from Luke chapter 15, verses 1 through 10, here's the message that's entitled, The Reckless, Relentless, Rejoicing God. And it begins with a story of my own about a lost kitten. His name was Theodore. And he was a 12-week-old orange tabby kitten. And he was one of a long line of kittens and cats who have been part of our family's life over the years. And to quote my daughter when I asked her this week uh, uh, about what she remembered about Theodore, she said, and again I quote, he was weird. Uh, And I know, and I understand, let me just say this up front, I know we have some cat lovers here, and that may sound harsh, but to be fair, there was a reason for this. For some reason, this particular cat did have a tendency to randomly attack my daughter, and only my daughter apparently, which made her pretty much terrified of him the whole time we had him. I remember once he just decided to, we should have named him Leon Spinks, I think, because he just kind of went at you in your head and hair, more than once, actually. Moreover, we soon discovered when we got Theodore that he would have absolutely nothing to do with going outside at all. Even when we purposely took him outside so he could acclimate to the outdoor environment, he would immediately beeline it back to the house. But I mention Theodore today because of the thing that I remember the most about that cat, and it is that he had this annoying habit of hiding. It started almost as soon as we brought him home. Every time we'd set this kitten down, off he would go to hide behind a chair, under a piece of furniture, behind a cabinet, or some other place in the house, where presumably he could check out his new surroundings while remaining safely unnoticed, which is fine. I can understand that, except for eventually, you see, his hiding places became more and more difficult to discover. I remember coming home one afternoon to find all three of our children, who were all very young at the time, all upset because they couldn't find the kitten anywhere. And of course, we we all searched around the house for what seemed like hours. But I'll be honest, after a while, Lisa and I, you know, we kind of gave each other that look and we began to fear the worst. Do you think, we asked each other, that maybe Theodore slipped out the door unnoticed when one of us went out? Or could he have found his way in the cellar and get lost down there amidst the stone walls and the cobwebs that were in that basement? Or maybe something worse happened. Who knows? All I know is that given those possibilities to say nothing of the prospect of heartbroken children, it made us all the more determined to find this kitten. So here I am in the dark of night, long after the kids had gone to bed, 
still crawling on my hands and knees through every room in the house, shining my little 399 Ever Ready flashlight into each and every nook and cranny I could find upstairs or down. And the good news is that we did eventually find Theodore. Theodore had managed to find a way to get way back in one of the kitchen cabinets, wedged behind the back of the stove and the kitchen wall. And yes, he was alive and well and mewing for all he was worth. Well, let me tell you, Mr. Man, it was no easy feat getting him out of there either. See, I speak that as a second language. I can't help it. In pretty much honestly, required the skills of a contortionist just to be able to reach in there far enough to bring the kitten out. And yes, we did get him. And what I remember to this very day as I held this trembling little kitten in my hands, reveling at how happy our children were going to be when they woke up the next morning and heard the news, I then kind of looked back at the kitchen and realized to great dismay that every one of our pots and pans and appliances were now strewn all over the kitchen floor, that every drawer in the place had been opened. I'm not sure how we thought the kitten was going to get way up in one of the kitchen drawers, but anyway, we emptied those out. All of our furniture in every room had been moved around. In other words, we'd essentially turned our whole house upside down looking for this little lost kitten. Oh, thanks be, we had now put it all back together. And it took a long while to put it all back together. But that was okay. Because now, at long last, that which was lost was found and that was a wonderful thing indeed. In our text for this morning that Chris just shared with us, we learn, <clears throat> and not surprisingly, that the Pharisees and the scribes were grumbling about Jesus. I absolutely love the fact that, that Luke used this word, and a lot of the translators use it as well. They were grumbling about Jesus. This time, because it wasn't the first time, this time regarding the fact that this man and his disciples always seemed to be hanging out with the wrong element, openly welcoming and even sitting down to dinner with those who were well known in that community as notorious sinners. That is, social outcasts, lowlifes, and, wait for it, tax collectors. You know, and you can just hear the grumbling now. One would think a man of God would hang out with a better class of people. But instead, he treats these people, these people, like their old friends. And so it's amidst of all that grumbling that Jesus responds. And by the way, isn't it interesting? It's sort of a, a truth of human existence. The Pharisees are grumbling, and grumbling sort of suggests they don't want to be heard. But, you know, people who grumble don't seem to realize they're heard very, very well. And Jesus heard the grumbling, and he responds with three different parables with more or less the same endings. Two of which Chris just shared with us, 
And the third, the parable of the prodigal son, we'll, we'll talk about another time. Let's talk about the first two. First, we have Jesus' parable of the shepherd of, shall we say, questionable judgment. Less than maybe common sense. In that he chooses to go off into the wilderness in search of one lost sheep at the expense of 99 others who were left behind in their wilderness grazing lands. And, you know, at risk for them getting lost themselves, at risk of being taken by predators, it, it, it's endless, the risk that they were having to deal with. But this shepherd goes off in the search of the one and rejoices greatly at that one sheep's safe return to the flock. And then there's the other story, the other story about a woman who was in possession of 10 silver coins, but who has in fact lost one. According to Jesus, this woman ends up lighting a lamp, meaning this happened deep into the night, sweeping the house and searching diligently for that single lost coin. And just like the shepherd with the lost sheep, once she has found that silver coin, the woman cannot help but rejoice, inviting her friends and neighbors to come over to celebrate. I found it. I found it. Let's, Let's have a party. Now, putting aside, you know, the familiarity and the beauty of this passage for a moment, quite honestly, by our reckoning, it all kind of seems foolish, doesn't it? I mean, think about it. Putting an entire flock of sheep at risk for the sake of one dumb little lamb that is more than likely going to wander off tomorrow anyway. Or putting everything else on, in your life on hold just so you can chase down that one stray quarter or silver dollar as, as, as the translation that Chris read put it. Either way, you still got nine. Just take the loss already. Get on with your life. Truthfully, doesn't it seem just a little bit obsessive, even reckless behavior to go to that much trouble for something that's relatively little? And even if you find it, it's not really something to be that joyful about, right? You breathe a sigh of relief at best. But there you go, says Jesus. That's how special the sheep and the coin are to those who lost them. That's why it is they are moved to rejoice once those things have been found. And likewise, you grumbling scribes and Pharisees, that's how special one lost person is to God. Special enough, you see, to do everything possible to bring that lost person back into the fold. Special enough that the angels of God will rejoice exceedingly over one sinner who changes his way of life. One person who finds their way, who comes back to God or is found by God. You see, that's where the scribes and Pharisees made their mistake. Trouble with the Pharisees, you see, is and, and, you know, we come down very hard on the Pharisees. I've said this before, but there was some justification of their behavior. You see, the, the Pharisees were very much about the law. 
And they tended to view God in that light. They saw God in a narrow, ordered, and uniform fashion. And that meant being strict with the law, and that meant that each one of us needed to be with God in exactly the same manner. For the Pharisees, you see, like I said before, it was about strict adherence to the law. And what that means is that no matter what happens, no matter what goes on in your life, you stand still. You don't move. You pay attention. You be good. You keep to the letter of the law. And for Pete's sake, don't you ever, ever wander away. Because if you do, you're going to get lost. And then you really are lost. Because you ain't going to have any hope of getting back. Or at least that's how it made sense to the scribes and Pharisees. This is what makes Jesus, this is makes what Jesus is saying here such good news. Flying in the face, uh, flying in the face, let's say that correctly, of all this order, correctness, and swift judgment, God, as it turns out, has other plans. In fact, more than simply ignoring this mistaken notion that anyone could ever be that last and that lost, God ends up being relentless about it. God ends up even being downright reckless about seeking out the lost, bringing them back safe and sound, and then greatly rejoicing when they're cradled and protected in his arms of love. You know, I think that most of us understand that love, when it truly is love, requires some risk. Anyone who's ever fallen in love will tell you that even that, in and of itself, is a risky proposition. It, it requires being vulnerable, right? It means that you've got to put yourself out there. You've got to offer up some extravagant or perhaps even foolish, albeit romantic, behavior all for the sake of winning over that special person in your life. Even if that effort might result in some embarrassment or even rejection. Now, unless I miss my guess, most of us have probably been there at some time or another in our lives. But by the same token, I'll bet you there are a lot of people here who can tell you that when it works out to take that risk, the joy that comes in that love is well worth the risk taken. But here's the thing, the risks never really end, right? As I'm fond of saying to couples who come to me to get married, that they need to know up front that no matter what their expectations are about their life together, and no matter what they may be thinking about what the future holds, remember this, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, it ain't just boilerplate. It is serious. Marriage, like any good relationship, any kind of relationship really that is worth anything, it requires the ability to risk oneself repeatedly for the sake of that love. It's a day in, day out, risking of our hearts one to another. It happens over the course of months and years and generations. And that risking of hearts 
is what is going to bring forth healing, intimacy, shared purpose, and true joy in all things. Well, think of that as a parable, friends, and here's the good news. God loves you and me with that kind of love. And then some. God loves us foolishly, extravagantly, recklessly. God is willing to spare no expense and to spare no, spare no risk for the sake of his love for us. God loves us recklessly in that regard. But God also loves us relentlessly. God refuses to give up on us, even perhaps at times when we've given up on God. God refuses to let us remain stranded and lost in the places where we have wandered. And because God is reckless and relentless, God is also giving us love that leads to rejoicing. For as Jesus Jesus' real words teaches us there is indeed joy in heaven, joy in the presence of the angels of God, true joy when God reaches out to us amidst the wanderings of our lives, bringing us back firmly and solidly into God's loving embrace. On that night long ago when Theodore the kitten got lost in our kitchen cupboard, I actually remember thinking to myself, you're always a preacher, you know? You're always thinking uh, of, of everything as a parable. And, and what, someday, maybe, you know, 30 years later, it might turn up as a sermon illustration. Who knows? <laughs> but I rem actually remember that night thinking to myself, oh, yeah, that's how it is, isn't it? Because after all, you know, the whole reason that the kitten went missing the whole reason the cat decided to hide was because he was scared. Maybe he was overwhelmed by five people in the family wanting to pay attention to him every single instant. Maybe there was something about the new environment that didn't sit well with him, or maybe it was something else entirely. But he was scared, and that's why he hid. And you know what? I can understand that, and so I suspect can we all. There are so many days in our lives when we do feel overwhelmed, right? So burdened by the incredible hugeness and chaos of everything that's going on around us that, you know what, the first thing that comes into our head is just simply to hide ourselves away. What's the expression, you know, you want to get into a hole and pull it in after you? That's how we are sometimes. We want to hide ourselves away, if not literally, friends, then at least emotionally, certainly spiritually. There have been times in my life and there have been times in each of our lives when all we really want to do is hide out, to find a good vantage point, to observe what's going on from a distance and not have to get involved. So there's no risk. No harm, no foul. But life, you see, especially a life that's lived in a faith in God, it requires our participation. It needs the risk of love in order for it to take root and to grow and to bloom and to flourish. If we are to follow Christ in our daily walk, 
I'm here to tell you we can't remain hidden away forever, either by choice or by circumstance. If we are to answer our calls to discipleship, if our faith is going to enter into the way that we are with one another, with our families, with our friends, with our children and grandchildren, and with everybody else, with our community and world, then it's going to require us to take the risk to come out into the open and risking, here's that phrase again, the cost as well as the joy in discipleship. Yeah, as I just said, that can be hard, very hard. So isn't it great that we have a God that loves us so incredibly recklessly, so relentlessly, so rejoicingly, that he refuses to quit and just keeps on going after us until we're out in the open where we belong. So how about you? How about you? Are you out there in the open where you belong? Or are you feeling lost? Are you feeling hidden away from life, living, and even God to the point where maybe you're feeling a little unreachable, untouchable. Well, if that's the case, here's the good news for each of you, for us all. You're not unreachable. You're not untouchable. Even now, even right here in this sanctuary, even where you all are in watching this service, God is reaching out and reaching in, touching you with a love that in the words of the old hymn will not let you go. Maybe you have been lost. Now you are found. And the reason you have been found is by grace, amazing grace. And because you are loved by this reckless, relentless, rejoicing God. May our thanks be unto him. Amen. Amen. And that's the message entitled, The Reckless, Relentless, Rejoicing God. It was recorded during our September the 11th service of worship at East Congregational Church in Concord, New Hampshire where we invite you to join us for worship each and every Sunday morning at 10 o'clock at the church on 51 Mountain Road, which is just off exit 16 of I-93 in Concord. I would love the opportunity to welcome you. And with that, we're coming to the close of another episode of this Love to Tell the Story podcast. I'm Michael Lowry, and I do thank you for listening today. And by the way, I would love to hear from you about this podcast or whatever else you're thinking about these days. You can do that by pressing the message button on the podcast page online or by con contacting me directly through the Love to Tell the Story Facebook page. Either way, I hope you will keep in touch. So until next time, may God bless you with a great day every day. We'll talk to you soon.